following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. We are going to be looking this morning in Matthew chapter 4, if you want to look there. Titled, Participants of the Kingdom. Chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. So let's uh, begin by reading scripture together. Uh, Actually, I'll read if you follow. (laughs) Um, Starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread through all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Uh, I've entitled this Participants in the Kingdom. And there's a big difference between uh, participants and consumers or observers, right? And we live in a day where uh, professional sports are quite the thing, billions and billions of dollar industry. Um, And it's been said of professional sports that uh, it's uh, thousands of people in desperate need of exercise sitting in the stands watching a a handful of athletes running around in desperate need of rest. (laughs) That's kind of the way it is. Um, And um, the question is, are professional sports... Uh, for the participants or, the, or for the spectators. Well, clearly the whole thing is for the spectators, right? If there were no audience, no spectators, no people buying tickets, uh, there would be no... Um, what's that noise? It's not rain. <laughs> what is that? Fireworks. Happy New Year. <laughs> Chinese New Year. This is really strange. Uh, professional sport, yes, spectator sport. So it's, it's, it's all about the consumer, not the participant. Uh, and it's a small group of people who participate, but actually they play the game for the entertainment and uh, for this vast crowd of spectators. And that really is a picture of how life works uh, a lot in our w- modern world. We, we really live in a consumer-driven world where just about everything happens to uh, capture people who will spend money to consume products or to consume services or to consume things or events, even like sports. Um, we, we, and we, and we it's, it's important that we kind of get a picture of this, that most of us live in this world uh, 
um, as consumers far more than as, as participants. Um, we, uh, we watch sports more than we participate them, in them, right? Even though we probably need to be in those sports, right? It would be good for us, but we just watch. We watch politics. Uh, we have jobs in the world, maybe not you, but in the world in general, people have jobs and work. Why? So they can buy stuff. So they can be better consumers. And even their jobs are primarily so other people can, can consume products they make. It's the world we live in, and it's just the way we do life. And there's not anything particularly wrong with it, except um, that thinking in that mentality has certainly come into the church, right? And there is this idea that it's possible to be a consumer Christian, right? Uh, that that this, is, this is an option, that Jesus gives you kind of two paths for how you're going to live out Christianity. One is as a consumer, and the other is as, as a participant, uh, but when you actually read scripture, and as we see, we will see today, um, that that's not how it is. Jesus, we looked last week, said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the question is, how as we enter, how are we to be a part of this kingdom? Do we enter into the kingdom as consumers? That Jesus is selling a better product than Satan or the world or whatever. And so we enter the kingdom to to take advantage of what Jesus has, to be consumers or to be spectators or observers of some show that goes on at church on Sunday morning or that God's going to do. Um, Jesus made it clear that uh, the kingdom at, at hand means that it's accessible to everyone. We now, through Jesus, can enter into his kingdom. But the question is, how do we enter in? Do we, do we enter in as consumers or as participants. Well, in this passage, Matthew contrasts two groups of followers. And it's, it's amazing that both of them are called followers. One is uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, four, well, two sets of brothers who Jesus calls, and they follow him. But also it says that there's huge crowds that are showing up from all over this region, and they too are following Jesus. Uh, but we will see that one group really represents uh, a consumer who's uh, showing up to consume, to observe, to get what Jesus has to offer. But there's another group who are following as as participants. And the question for us is, um, is Jesus really offering two paths here to his church? He's saying, well, you know, if you don't want to take this whole thing too seriously, if you you don't want to make too much commitment, you want to just kind of, be on the fringe, that's okay. You can be a consumer Christian. Or is the message here really that there really is no such thing? That if you're a Christian, there's only one option, that is to be a full-on participant with Jesus. Um, we, we won't take a vote, but we'll see at the end of the message what you think, what the Scripture says. So let's look at these passages. Uh, this passage starting at verse 18. Uh, Jesus is in Capernaum. He's relocated there. It's a little fishing village on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And um, he's walking along the shore, and there are men, fishermen there, uh, probably in in the morning after uh, fishing all night, uh, repairing their nets and and getting them prepared for for, for the next day. And and here he sees Andrew and and his brother, uh, Peter and Andrew, actually casting their net into the sea. 
so they weren't actually in a boat. It looks like they were using their nets from the shore. Um, and he said to them, uh, follow me, come after me, follow me. A uh, couple important things to note here. First, they, they were fishermen. Uh, in, in Israeli society of that day, uh, we, kinda, we may think of fishermen as being like these poor, uneducated, um, you know, starving people. Actually, that's not true of fishermen. Uh, people uh, who have studied this tell us that in, in Palestine at that time, about 90% of the population would have been peasants would have been pretty poor. Farmers, uh, laborers, who were basically living, making just enough money each day to live. Uh, About 1% of the population were wealthy. So they were merchants, uh, they had businesses, they were involved in high trade, or they were corrupt like uh, Levi, the tax collector, siphoning money off other people. They were wealthy. Uh, But the the fishermen represented a small group of of about... uh, 8%, 9% 8%, 9% of the population that would have been middle class. Uh, they, they had good income. Uh, their business involved both catching the fish, but also processing it and selling it. And so uh, it, was, it was an actual enterprise. And in that day, fish was one of the main uh, dietary staples. So uh, this was good business. And they, they made a, a decent living. Um, but it's, it's important to note that these were not like world leaders. These probably weren't even like civic leaders in Capernaum. Uh, they weren't um, super talented, educated, influential people in society. They were fishermen. They were just common, everyday, ordinary kinds of people. Um, and, and that's really one of the points of the kingdom. The good news is that it's accessible for everyone. You don't have to be a religious professional or somebody super important to enter into the kingdom. It is for common people. And Jesus uh, goes to these, these men who are fishermen. Uh, second thing that's important to note is that Jesus found them. But these guys were not looking for Jesus, particularly. Now, uh, when you compare with some of the other Gospels, it's, it's apparent that uh, when John was having his ministry of baptism, that these men, these disciples, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, had been there. And had been around, so they'd seen Jesus some, and they, they probably were aware of who he, he is. Um, but they weren't necessarily looking for him. Uh, these guys were not looking for a spiritual mentor or life coach. Right? They were fishermen. They, had, they knew how to fish. They didn't particularly need help with anything. Right? They, they had their life. And they weren't looking for an internship program or some kind of an apprenticeship in a different career path. Right? They were not looking for Jesus. But Jesus was looking for them. And he found them. And he specifically and personally uh, chose them and called them. Right? It's important to remember that uh, we, we don't find God. Right? If it was really up to us uh, to, to find God, we would all be in trouble. Right? God in his grace and his goodness uh, seeks us. In fact, John says this in, uh, Jesus says this in John 15, 16. He's to, speaking to his disciples. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should endure. Right, so, so Jesus finds them and he calls them. 
Literally, his, his, uh, his, his uh, call, he says, follow me, could be translated, um, come and follow. Come, follow me. Get behind me. Go where I am going. Uh, and, and it's interesting that his, his call uh, demands, uh, it's personal and it demands immediate response, right? He doesn't say to them, hey guys, I've got this proposal I want you to think about and pray about. I'm doing this kind of ministry tour and I could use some help. And so like, yeah, pray about this a couple of weeks and if you feel like it might be a good fit, you know, I'll come back, right? But he says, come, follow me, right? Jesus is the king, right? The kingdom is about Jesus as the king ruling. He knows what he wants. He knows who he's calling and he's, he's definite about it. And he wants a definite response, uh, quick and without delay. And that's exactly what he gets from these four men. It says immediately they leave their nets and they follow him. Now this is not to say that there's not a process in coming to know and understanding who Jesus is. This doesn't mean if you go out on the streets to some Thai person and you say, you need to follow Jesus, and if they don't follow right then, you say, well, then you're just lost. <laughs> Sorry, I tried, right? No, there is a process. And certainly, as we saw, these guys had, had been exposed to Jesus and they'd certainly been prepared from their Old Testament roots. Um, but the point is that when, when, when God comes to that point of bringing us in his process of drawing us to himself, when he calls us to be his, his children and his followers, he says, follow me. Right? Um, it, it demands immediate instant response on our part of trust and obedience, a commitment to follow him. Um, and by the way, this is one of the characteristic marks that separates Peter and Andrew and James and John from the crowd. Right? The crowd, you don't, you don't get immediate response from them. In fact, they, they keep their distance and they do not act immediately on Jesus' call. And he calls to them too. He's inviting them continually. But their response is not immediate. And for many of them, that will be a fatal mistake. Um, so, so Jesus calls and he expects this instant uh, response. Uh, and what he calls them to is also quite radical. Uh, notice it says, um, first with Andrew and James, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, and he saw two other brothers, James and John, uh, sons of Zebedee, in their boat with their father. And again, he says, uh, he called them. And again, immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Uh, Jesus called them to follow him. And that call involved leaving behind their whole life, right? Their career, their income, uh, their possessions, you know, they leave behind the boat, their nets, uh, even family and family expectations. Uh, now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is teaching here that family don't matter and that they can disrespect their father. Uh, later, Jesus teaches that we are to honor our parents. But his call here is that you shouldn't let family expectations uh, rule over your life. Right? You're coming into the kingdom, which means Jesus has the right to rule and tell you how to live your life even above your parents, your father and mother. Uh, and I love that Jesus even really calls them to ditch their identity. Uh, they were fishermen. 
And for most of us as guys, a lot of our identity is wrapped up in, in what we are and in, in what we do. Who we are is a lot about who we are is a lot about what we do. There we go. Um, for guys, it's a lot of our identity. And if you were to ask uh, Andrew or Peter, who are you? They would have said, I'm a fisherman. Right? That's, that's what they were. Uh, it's what they were good at. It's what gave them purpose in life. And being a fisherman was not uh, an occupation without some purpose. Uh, they, they fed the world. Well, they fed at least people in Capernaum and maybe around other areas. Um, it's a good ministry. It's a good service. Right? They went out and they had skill doing what most people could not do like they could. And they used that skill to catch fish. And in that day, you know, you, had, you, had, uh, you could eat olives and you could eat wheat and barley. And every once in a while you got to eat a goat, right? But olives and olive oil and, and, and wheat day after day, three meals a day, is probably a little bit like me eating rice three meals a day. I love rice. I love Thai food. But it can get old, right? So, man, to get fish, this was a good thing. It provided protein. And so their life had purpose and meaning, right? But, but Jesus says, look, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. I am going to uh, give you a whole new kind of identity and purpose and mission in life. And what's important to see is that Jesus called them to leave everything behind, but not to become some kind of martyr who just were, poor me, I've given up everything, I've sacrificed everything, and that's just the way life is. No, Jesus was calling them to something much greater. In fact, um, you know, we know the rest of the story. We, we know where Peter ends up. And it's pretty remarkable when Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, that Jesus was picturing this day, uh, three years from now, when Peter would stand up before a crowd of thousands in the temple in Jerusalem. And he would boldly proclaim the gospel. And on that one day, 3,000 people would respond and enter into the kingdom. Right? That, that's a whole new identity and a whole new purpose and a whole new mission. And that's exactly what Jesus was calling them to, to be on a mission with Jesus to fulfill his eternal purpose in the world. It's like, yeah, you're a good fisherman and you, you, you have a reputation like all of Capernaum knows. Peter, now that guy can fish. But what I'm calling you to is something so much greater. Right? And so it's not a great sacrifice, really, to give up everything when we understand what, what Jesus is calling them to, what he's calling us to. Right? Uh, if Peter knew, which Jesus didn't tell him, he just said, follow me. Uh, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter had no idea. Right? And maybe if he knew he was going to stand up, have to stand up in front of thousands of people and preach, maybe he would have told Jesus, forget it. Right? He'd been like Moses. I'm a man who I can't speak. I'm not so good. I'm, I'm just a fisherman. Right? Uh, God in his grace doesn't always tell us where he's taking us. Uh, he takes us step by step. Um, right? so, they, they, so, so Jesus here is talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. And he is calling them to enter into kingdom life. And remember, the kingdom is not a place or a thing. It is primarily the rule of Christ and doing life with Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus calls them to. He says, I want you to follow me. You're going to go with me every single day. We're going to do mission and life together. And you are going to learn what it really means to be in the kingdom and do kingdom life my way to do all of life with Jesus. 
uh, learning uh, from what he taught, but also seeing how he lived and, and copying, imitating his example. Uh, so, so we see here that Jesus is calling these guys, who represent the, what will be the twelve and, and the true disciples, uh, he is calling them to be participants with him in all of life and ministry. Right? Participants. He's not calling them to just be spectators or observers, uh, but to be participants. And in fact, uh, not many chapters from now, we will see Jesus sending them out on their own mission to do his work. Uh, So that's uh, what it meant for these guys to be followers. Uh, Then it shifts gears a little bit. And in the next section, it gives a, a, a summary, kind of a ministry overview of what Jesus' ministry looked like. Uh, it's, it's stated here, and then again in chapter 9, it, it kind of restates it in very similar terms. And it's just a s- summary of everything that Jesus did that was ministry. What was his mission? What was his purpose in the world? Uh, and it says in verse 23, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among people. So basically, Jesus' ministry involves three things. Pretty simple. Uh, He has a ministry of teaching. Um, He he gives instruction about how to live in the kingdom. So here's the picture of the kingdom coming means Jesus' rule over people's lives. It means Jesus gets to tell us how to live and what to do. That's what it means to live in the kingdom. Jesus gets to tell us how to live and what to do. And so his teaching is instruction about what that looks like. Right? He's explaining to them uh, what he wants of them and how he wants them to live. Uh, and next week we'll begin looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5-7 through 7 is a sample of what Jesus is teaching. And it really captures the heart or essence of, of all that Jesus taught. And so he teaches. And, and it's interesting, he's not just teaching just the twelve, just the, these, these close followers, but he's teaching the crowds. So they're all getting the same teaching. They're getting the same message. Now, granted, the Peter and Andrew and James and John and the others are getting it a lot more frequently, but they're all hearing the exact same teaching and instruction about life in the kingdom. Secondly, it says that he is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, the gospel is the good news, but in, in, in the gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament, The gospel came to take on a very technical term that represented Jesus' life and ministry, especially with its focus on the cross and what Jesus did to bring salvation to us. Um, And the idea here is that the kingdom is not something we enter simply because we want to. The kingdom was near because Jesus came and he was the one who made access into the kingdom possible through the cross. His death and resurrection was crucial if we were to be in the kingdom. But not only that, not only is it kind of our our entry ticket or the door that we go through to enter into the kingdom, but the cross really is the power by which we can live out all of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Now, Jesus doesn't explain all this here, but uh, through, through the rest of the Gospels and especially in the rest of the New Testament, it makes it clear that Jesus is not saying, look, if you want to be in the kingdom, you need to shape up your life And by your own willpower and determination, you need to become a kingdom citizen. Uh, I've tried that in my own strength and my own power, being everything Jesus wanted me to be, and it was a disaster. 
I don't know about you, but I couldn't do it. Right? I needed the transforming power of the cross changing my life and my heart from the inside out. Uh, the cross is the power that makes life in the kingdom possible. So Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and ultimately that's an invitation to come into this kingdom life through the work of Jesus, through his death and resurrection. And through that, uh, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to give us a power to do this. It's interesting, Peter uh, and, and James and John, all the disciples, uh, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. But we don't really see that happening until after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, they did do ministry with Jesus before that, but it was limited and it didn't always work. And we see with guys like Peter, they failed. He ended up denying that he even knew Jesus when the critical moment of testing came. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, after he poured out the Holy Spirit, these guys became uh, world changers. Right? World. I mean, think about this. We're sitting here today because those guys uh, were changed by the gospel. Right? So that's the gospel of the kingdom. And so Jesus was proclaiming and inviting people into his kingdom. And finally, he was healing every kind of suffering. And the picture here is that the kingdom came with power. And the kingdom is two things. It's God's rule over us. But it is also God's care for us. Right? We come into God's kingdom and the role of a king was to protect and to care for his subjects. Right? He wasn't just a slave driver who just got to boss them around. He also had responsibilities to look over them and protect them. And so we see Jesus exercising that power uh, by healing every kind of suffering. There's all kinds of lists of everything from demon possession to diseases to uh, paralysis and injury. didn't matter what they brought. Jesus was never like, oh, you know, I didn't, I forgot, I didn't study this chapter on like epilepsy. Oh, epilepsy, what was that one? I forget. Right? No, everything they brought to him, he, he, he took care of. He healed with power. And so the kingdom comes with this power to heal and to care for those who, who come into its scope. Right? There's no limit. And as a result of this, it says that uh, his fame or, or the word about him, his reputation spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick and the afflicted with various diseases and pains to so those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Uh, and, and so great crowds followed him as a result from Galilee, uh, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So even though Jesus kept the scope of his travel and his ministry right in Galilee, uh, the word of what he did spread throughout this whole region, this huge region all around, uh, all of what would be Palestine, modern-day modern day Palestine, end up what would be Syria. Huge region of people who heard and were drawn to Jesus. And these crowds began to gather by the thousands. And Matthew says that these, these crowds also uh, followed him. Uh, this good news travels far, and many people are drawn to, um, to hear and to, to experience what Jesus is doing. Um, but the question is, did they follow in the same way the disciples did? Right? Were they following like Peter and James and John in, in, in the Twelve? 
Well, it's clear, and as we go through the gospel, it's clear that for Matthew, he portrays the, the crowds as people who are interested. Right? They're not like the Pharisees who are enemies. They're interested in Jesus. They like Jesus. They follow Jesus all around, right? Maybe for long periods of time. Uh, they follow him. Uh, but, but they're very much portrayed in Matthew as consumers, not participants, right? Uh, and, and I want to be clear uh, in Scripture, Jesus is clear that there is no such thing as a consumer Christian, Right? There's no such thing as a person who's a a Christian at a distance. A Christian who's just a casual observer, who likes Jesus, who thinks Jesus is cool, who wants to experience something from Jesus, but is not a participant. There is no such thing. If 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 that's your idea of what Christianity is, the Bible would say, you're really not a Christian. You are not in the kingdom, right? Because being a cons- in the kingdom as a consumer was just not an option. Matthew makes it clear that this crowd, unless they respond and become like the disciples, they're outside. They're not in the kingdom, right? Um, and so, certainly, uh, Jesus doesn't give up on them. Right? Jesus teaches them faithfully and he's constantly proclaiming to them. But his call to them, as we'll see later in Matthew, is that unless you take up your cross and follow me, you are not a true disciple. You are not a Christian. You are not in the kingdom. Um, and what's interesting is that the crowd, um, they did agree with what Jesus taught. Right? They weren't arguing and debating with Jesus. They accepted his teaching. They said, wow, that's nice. I like that. Boy, those truths, I think I'm going to put that on my wall. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see the kingdom. I should get a t-shirt made. <laughs> right? They, they, they liked what Jesus taught. They, may, they maybe even agreed with it. Right? They agreed at least with what was agreeable. And they're like, we like that. Right? They may even like the idea of Jesus as a king. They wanted a king. And they were like, yeah, Jesus, you go. You be king. That is cool, right? Um, they may even been able to go out and re- teach what Jesus told them. Maybe they went home and told their friends and said, I heard the coolest teaching today. And I think it's really good. Let me tell you what it is, right? But, if, but, but their goal was simply to get their needs met to get some experience or something that they wanted from Jesus, to get his healing. And that's what's also interesting. Uh, Jesus healed them. Right? They, experience, they experienced, some of them, powerful healing in their life from Jesus. But that did not make them a disciple. right? Uh, because they were not diligently following him by committing to doing what Jesus commanded to take up the mission of Jesus and join him in all of life. Um, so the gospel is clear. You are not a true follower, a true Christian, until you are a participant doing all of life with Jesus and not simply a consumer of the gospel. Uh, so let me, let me uh, just uh, look real, real briefly at three, th- uh, well, three, four, four things <laughs> that it means um, 
to, to be a, a participant, not just a consumer. The first thing, uh, Jesus makes it clear that there is a cost of following, right? There is a cost. Uh, the disciples gave up everything to gain Christ and enter his kingdom. In order to be this participant of the kingdom who's doing all of life with Jesus, you have to let go of your old life. Jesus made it very clear that you can't hold on to your old life in this world and have his kingdom. You have to be willing to leave behind your old life. Right? So does this mean you can't truly be a Christian if you don't quit your job, sell everything you own, sever all family relationships, and take up some kind of life as a monk? Right? Is that what he means? Well, clearly no. Uh, but it does mean this. It means that we lay all of that at Jesus' feet and we make Jesus imminently more important than all of that stuff. Right? And it means that if Jesus said, I want you to sell your house or I do want you to quit your job and I want you to go be a missionary in some faraway place or I want you to uh, give all of your wealth to the poor, that you would do it immediately. Right? You would do it with instant obedience when you know what, that that's what God has called you to. And ultimately, it's not just about the stuff or the things, but it's that Jesus is more important than all of that. In other words, we want Jesus and life with him more than anything else. And if anything comes along that gets in the way of following Jesus, I would lay those things aside if they keep me from truly uh, doing all of life with Him. Right? So there's nothing more important. So even, even the expectation of parents who put on us their ideas of what they want us to do, that even that is not as important as making Jesus Lord and King over our life. And you see, the crowd gave up nothing. It cost them nothing to be uh, observers. In fact, they gained sometimes from his healing and, and from free food uh, sometimes. Um, but it was clear that Jesus had not become the single most important thing in their life. He was exciting. He was oftentimes entertaining. Jesus put on a good show. Um, he was fun to watch. But he was not worth sacrificing for. Right? He did not become the single most important thing in their life who deserved all their loyalty and devotion. second thing we see is, is uh, the goal of following, the purpose of, of following Jesus. What was the goal of the crowd? Well, the, the goal of the crowd uh, as, as observers and, and consumers uh, was just seeking what they could get from Jesus. Right? That's what consumers do. It's like, Jesus, what can you do for me? And you remember the scene where Jesus had fed, fed the 5,000 and the next day uh, they, all, they all come to Jesus, Jesus, we want more bread. Like, that was cool. Free lunch. Can you do that again? And Jesus said, no, no. Not because he didn't love them, but because his purpose was greater than that. He wasn't trying to just um, pacify their consumer-driven needs, Right? Uh, they had needs much deeper that Jesus wanted to meet uh, for his spiritual bread. But they were oblivious to those needs. Uh, Jesus wanted to be their king. Uh, but it required more than just the idea of a cool kingdom of getting the Jewish nation restored. Right? It meant Jesus would be Lord over their life. And that they were not willing to do. 
But the goal for the disciples became something very different. They became partners with Jesus, participating in all of his life and ministry. And now their life was focused on doing the things that Jesus taught them, and specifically of uh, joining him in the purpose and mission of bringing his life-saving, life-giving message to the world. Right? They became joint co-workers in expanding the kingdom by teaching and proclaiming and healing. A third thing we see is that they had uh, a very different impact, very different impact, uh, the disciples versus the crowd. Now what's interesting is the, the crowd was impacted. Right? It wasn't that Jesus had no impact on the crowd. They did experience uh, help and healing specifically. So that's a pretty good thing, like to have your life impacted if you were blind and all of a sudden you could see. That's a life-changing experience for sure. If you were crippled and all of a sudden you could walk, or if you were controlled uh, and your life was dominated by demonic uh, powers, and all of a sudden you were set free and you could live life free from their control, that would be revolutionary for you. Um, uh, but the, the reality is that all of, the, all of that healing that Jesus did was only temporary. Right? It addressed the physical, temporary needs of the body, but not the deeper needs of the heart and soul. Uh, Jesus could heal their physical sight, but if they were not willing to become true followers, uh, they were still spiritually blind. Right? And so the crowd was impacted at a superficial level, even though for many of them it was... It was life-changing. It was not life-transforming, right? They were, uh, they could do life differently, but they were still the same people. Uh, and, and they were unwilling to allow him the kind of place in their life that would be life-transforming in their heart and soul. But for the disciples, it was different. Uh, their identity was changed from fisher men to fishers of men. Uh, they were men... And people, there's also, we see later, there were certainly women also in this group who were uh, eternally impacted by Jesus' teaching and message. It wasn't just that they were outwardly changed, but their life was transformed from the inside out and they became different people. Uh, and not only that, but because they became different people, there was a different outcome to their life, a different result or a different significance or worth to their life. The crowd clung tightly to their ordinary but safe lives. And in the end, Jesus said, uh, if you save your life, you will lose it. They, they lost everything. Right? They held on to their ordinary lives, but in the end, they lost everything. The disciples, on the other hand, gave up their common, ordinary lives to, fill, to fulfill an extraordinary purpose in the eternal plan of God. Right? It seems like an easy trade. Right? Give up your common, ordinary, boring life in exchange for an extraordinary purpose in the eternal plan of God. Right? It means that when these guys went out as fishers of men, when they preached and when they healed and when they ministered to people, lives were changed, not just temporarily, but for eternity. Right? And I know for, for many of us here, we, we are true disciples. I'm not doubting that. Right? Um, and the cool thing is, when Jesus calls us into that mission with him, and we surrender to him, we make uh, and help people with eternal impact. 
Right? Those we share the gospel with, those we minister and encourage and build up in their faith, they live life differently, not just for the span of the 70 years on this earth, but it extends into eternity. Right? And someday we will see that as followers of Christ on mission with Him, we have been a part of expanding His eternal kingdom in the lives of people uh, that we probably aren't even aware of. And as those people go out and they make disciples and they change the world, that influence and that gospel network spreads and grows. Right? That's what Jesus calls us to. And that's what he desires to be the outcome of your life. Now you may not see that. right? The disciples fumbled along and stumbled along and, and, and a lot of times they may not have realized uh, the eternal impact they were making. At times we may not always see what God is doing in us and through us. But know that if we enter into his kingdom, we put ourselves fully under Jesus' rule and control over our life, and we go on mission with him. Jesus said, I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you may bear much fruit, and it's fruit that endures into eternity. Lastly, um, you know, are, are, are we uh, consumers or are we participants? I, I've, I'm pretty sure that a lot of us here, we, we, we heard that call and we jumped on board and we did leave everything. And we can remember a time in our life when God made that call. I can in my, in my own life. I remember when God put that call in my life and, and I decided it was, a, it was a small price to pay to give up my life, which was mostly a wreck, for what Jesus wanted to do in it. It was an easy choice. It was not a sacrifice. Um, but, the, but the reality is that this is a daily thing. It's not something we just do once. Right? Being a true follower of Christ is something we can easily phase into and phase out of by our diligence to Him or by our lack of diligence. Right? It's pretty easy to slip back into consumer mode and think that because we agree with what Jesus taught and we read our Bible and we go, hey, that's right. We hear preaching and we say, Amen, I believe that, right? And, and we think that because uh, we've experienced something of Jesus, like we have encountered him in some way, we can look back to that experience. And, and we like the idea of Jesus being king, that we think, well, because that's all true, I'm good, right? And we don't realize that all that falls short of really being a disciple, if that's all we're doing, we're still just a consumer. What, what, what's the next step? Well, we have to actually do the things that Jesus taught. Right? We actually have to be on mission with him, doing the work that he called us to, right? using our God-given call and gifts and abilities uh, to extend his kingdom. And that's something we need to be diligent about every day. Every day, are there things that I am holding on to in my life that have become more important than my devotion and loyalty to Christ. Um, it's dangerous to us just to assume because we, we know all the right answers that everything is okay. Right? Jesus would have us daily check our lives and our hearts and ask, are there things that I am holding on to that I have not really given up that have become more important than Jesus? Are there ways that Jesus is calling me to things and unlike uh, Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, where I am responding immediately in obedience, 
I'm lagging a bit. I'm saying, well, God, I'm not sure that I really need to do that. It's inconvenient, right? It, it's going to cost me something that I don't know I want to pay, right? All of a sudden, we've shifted from being a participant in the kingdom to a spectator and a consumer, right? So we need to be diligent about this every day, about our own uh, discipleship, right? Because we cannot help others become true followers if we are not uh, true followers ourselves. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.